2: From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's spooky season out there, as the mummies and skeletons dotting front yards can attest. So, with some help from our friends at the amazing KQED podcast, Bay Curious we're gonna take a tour of some of the Bay Area's most infamous locations. From San Jose's Winchester house up to the old Victorian house that was literally painted black by the founder of the Church of Satan. We'll hear from Bay Curious host Olivia Allen Price and KQED all-star Carly Severn about the creepiest local history they could find. And of course, it wouldn't be for if we didn't dig a little deeper into the why the spooky and the ghostly retain our fascination. That's all coming up next after this news, Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You know, sometimes a team here at KQED just does something so fun and interesting and delightful that we have to share it with you. And that's what we have here this morning in the form of the Bay Curious October series, Boo Curious. During this time of ghosts and vampires and occasional deeper contemplation of the way death gives life, Gives meaning to life. Bay Curious reporters have found out across the Bay Area to bring back the spooky stuff, chasing down legends and trying to contextualize or maybe even debunk just a little bit some of the myth that grows up around these places. And of course, we'll want to hear from you about the places you've known that belong in the Boo Curious category. Joining us, we've got Bay Curious host and author of the Bay Curious book, which I'm sure you've purchased. If you haven't, you can. Olivia Allen Price. Welcome, Olivia.
1: Hi, thanks to be here.
2: Uh, We're also joined by one of the key reporters on this series and one of the station's absolute stalwarts, Carly Severn. Welcome, Carly. Good morning. Um, Olivia, tell us a little bit about the Boo Curious series, like... Why'd you do it? How do you think about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So every year at Halloween, Bay Curious, our podcast, puts out some kind of episode that's a little bit eerie, a little bit spooky. We, we like to have fun around Halloween. We've done in the past stories about graveyards, uh, a two-part series about the Donner Party. Ooh. And, and this year, we were looking at all of our story options, and there were too many to pick from. We, just, we loved all of the stories, so we decided, you know what? Let's just take over the entire month of October, and we're going to go to all sorts 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 of eerie, you know, spooky places around the Bay Area and just make it a month-long series called Boo Curious. Why not?
2: (laughs) Um, Carly, uh, we're going to hear a little clip in a minute of your tour of the Winchester Mystery House. Do you want to set up kind of the, the legend of the Winchester Mystery House for us?
3: I would love nothing more, frankly. So if you have been, even if you haven't been, the Winchester Mystery House, if you picture like a Victorian spooky house that is the set of a horror movie. That is what the Winchester Mystery House looks like. And it's right in the middle of San Jose. It's right next to Santana Row. And it dates from 1886. And the legend goes that this place was built by a wealthy widow called Sarah Winchester, who is the heiress to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company's fortune. That is Winchester Rifles. So the legend goes that Sarah builds this house because a psychic tells her she has to relocate from the East Coast to San Jose and build this house to basically appease the spirits of all the people that have been killed in the past by Winchester rifles. And that, the legend goes, is why this place looks quite so bizarre.
2: And of course, you're going to find out that it's probably something else. But let's listen in to a little bit of your tour with another Alexis who's guiding a mystery tour here.
0: Well, welcome to the Winchester Mystery House. My name's Alexis. I'll be your guide today for your hour-long tour through Mrs. Winchester's beautiful yet slightly unusual mansion. The
3: Mystery House is so confusing, so labyrinthine, that one of the first things our tour guide tells us is don't go wandering off alone.
0: Uh, Just stick with me at all times. It's really easy to get lost inside this home, so I'm your only way out of here alive.
3: The Winchester Mystery House sprawls across 24,000 square feet. It has 160 rooms, including 13 bathrooms. There are 17 chimneys, 47 stairways, many of which lead nowhere, 2,000 doors, and 10,000 windows.
2: That was a little clip from the Boo Curious episode about the Winchester Mystery House, part of uh, Bay Curious, of course. And I'm just thinking, it, I'm terrified by a cleaning 24,000 square feet. I mean, that seems Can you like imagine? very, very uh, difficult. Um, Olivia, you were that you were there too. You've seen the, the house. How uh, do you think about this this place?
1: I mean. You know, thinking about it as a labyrinth I think really is the best way to describe it. One room kind of leads to the next. It kind of the the, the rooms snake from one to the other. It's not a floor plan you would recognize from a modern house and not even like an old mansion. It's just kind of got its own unique thing going on. And then of course all these doors and windows open to oftentimes walls. You'll have staircases that go up to the ceiling, but not to another floor. You know, windows open up to a wall. So many kind of things in the house are just not what they seem. um, And it kind of lends itself to sort of an overall eerie, unsettling feeling when you're inside. Mm.
2: But Carly, you did some reporting, dug into this story, and found that there's at least a plausible alternative explanation for what was going on here, aside from uh, spirits directing Sarah Winchester.
3: I am sorry to say that there definitely is. And I feel like such a killjoy saying this, but the key really lies in the facts of of Sarah Winchester's life. And as with all these kind of spooky places, I think that what I love about telling these stories is there's nearly always a fascinating person behind them. And Sarah Winchester is that person. So she is born in Connecticut in 1839, and then she marries the heir to the Winchester fortune. And then this poor woman really just suffers these endless waves of loss in her life as a lot of people in that century did. You know, death was unfortunately super commonplace that you would lose family member after family member and she did basically her husband, then her father-in-law, then her child, then her sister. So then by the time she moves out to San Jose to build this house, you know, she's a grieving woman and she wants to throw herself into this big project. She's always been interested in architecture. And so I kind of chatted to um, Bay Area writer, Mary Jo Ignoffa, who's been Sarah Winchester as biographer for many years. And she really stresses this interest in architecture that Sarah Winchester had. Mm -hmm. Um, She really wanted to give a go of it. And so all of these strange aspects of the house that just don't make sense to you when you're walking around it, if you imagine that it's someone that has no formal training in architecture, a lot of money and a lot of time on her hands, and is just trying stuff out, putting stuff up, ripping it down there's also the issue of the 1906 earthquake that devastated so much of the Bay Area. Um, And I I feel like a real killjoy saying this, but if you open a door to nowhere or a staircase to nowhere, imagine that When the earthquake hits, it removes several stories of that Winchester mystery house. So that staircase could once upon a time have led to a very real place. It's just the earthquake intervenes and creates this bizarre house that looks like it has doorways and staircases to nowhere. So that is one kind of earthbound explanation for for what's going on, but also the rumours that persisted about this woman during her lifetime Mm. and then after it, she didn't answer any of them. People were making Mm. stuff up about her and she said, you know what, you can say what you want. I'm not going to say anything. And when people choose that path, The press does say anything and they come up with these crazy rumors about what you're doing and the otherworldly motivations for you building your your labyrinth of a mystery house, which, you know, she dies in 1922. And within months, this place is bought and reopens as essentially a haunted house. Like the public interest was already that big in this house.
2: I mean, uh, Olivia, do you think that these myths about Sarah Winchester persisted? exclusively because she didn't say anything or because she sort of frustrated the kind of gender script of the time?
1: Absolutely. I think, I mean, to your second point, that's definitely a huge part of it. I mean, she was not a part of San Jose society, the way that people wanted her to be, people of her her class, you know, her, her financial means. She, you know, wasn't involved in the community in the way they would have liked. And so they made up stories about why. Um, so I think that's a huge part of kind of where the origin of these stories came from. And then we carry them on. I mean, for so many reasons, I could talk for an hour about those reasons alone. But I think that, you know, these stories do lend themselves to kind of in a way like they create a community um because we in the Bay Area, we're so diverse. We all come from, you know, different cultures, many of us from different places. And we don't always have kind of a shared history or a shared culture that we can kind of gather around. So I think when we do have these stories that do take place kind of in landmarks on land that we are sharing, you know, it's something that we like to kind of pass around and talk about because it becomes part of our collective. Identity. Our culture.
2: Yeah, yeah because part our collective culture. Yeah, I you know, there's also and Carl, so I'll send this one over to you. You know, we had a, a guest in the, the show named Ingrid Rojas Contreras, who wrote this incredible book about her family in, in Colombia. And when she talks about what ghosts do in Colombia, it it's a way of actually reckoning with the past in the in the present. But like, You can do something to appease the ghosts, and that actually provides like a mechanism for not just learning some awful history, but actually doing something with it. And if you think about the Sarah Winchester story, it has a little bit of that to it, right? Because... There is death that has been visited upon us by the creation of rifles and the, the variety of weapons that now exist. Like there is actually something that needs to be repaired there, don't you think?
3: Absolutely, and it's also this idea of viewing the past through a modern lens and how things don't exactly translate because, of course, we look back now and we think, well, of course the heiress to the Winchester fortune would have been tormented by guilt over the death that she knows she'd indirectly enabled. Of course she would have built this crazy house in order um, to have appeased those ghosts, but uh, uh, like I said, the, the biographer, the Bay Area uh, biographer of Sarah Winchester, Mary Jo Agnoffo, she says that there is unfortunately just not a lot of evidence that Sarah did feel guilty about this. So again, it's looking back and and trying to think, how would I feel in this woman's shoes and things not quite matching up. And the hard facts of Sarah Winchester's life are, are pretty kind of bleak and depressing. And it's all about a woman that basically throws herself in the midst of her grief into an overwhelming project. And I think a lot of us have done that. You know, when times have got tough in our own life, maybe (laughs) loss, uh, bereavement, what have you, you know, we do look to something that we can really throw ourselves into, even if it kind of doesn't make sense to the people around us, and in fact alienates us from the world around us.
2: Who hasn't remodeled a house to remodel their life, you know? I think that is actually kind of a a common thing that, that happens, just maybe not, you know, for 24,000 square feet and, you know, <laughs> 2,000 doors worth of remodeling. Um, we would love to hear from you. We're talking about the new Bay Curious series, Boo Curious, which is about the eeriest spots in the Bay Area. We're joined by Carly Savern, senior editor of Audience News, and in this case, a Bay Curious reporter, as well as Olivia Allen Price, host of KQED's Bay Curious podcast and author of the book, Bay Curious, exploring the hidden true stories of the San Francisco Bay Area, including several spooky stories I have confirmed, uh, some of which we'll be talking about later. We would love to hear from you. What are your favorite Bay Area spooky locations, eerie locations, or what have you just heard, the stories that you've heard about places out there uh, in this region? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. I feel like my voice needs to get spookier as the vertical as the vertical music comes in. That's 866733. Ah, 6786. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Discord, Instagram, or KQED Forum. We'll be back with more right after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new Bay Curious series. Of course, that's the KQED podcast, Bay Curious. The series is Boo Curious. It's been running in this month of October here in a spooky season. Um, And it deals with the eeriest spots in the Bay Area. We are joined with the host of Bay Curious, Olivia Allen Price, and Carly Severn, senior uh, editor of Audience News, and in this case, a Bay Curious reporter who obviously loves spooky things. We're going to get your calls and comments in here too about your favorite spooky or eerie locations here in the Bay Area. I mean, you know, maybe you can scare us while we're sitting here in the studio. The number is 866 733 6786. That's 866 733 6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, go over to our Discord, Facebook, We're KQED Forum. Um Olivia, we're going to talk about another a San Francisco scary location or a story, The Lady of Stow Lake.
1: Yes. Have you been to Stow Lake?
2: I mean, I know where it is. I I you know.
1: Okay, I, yeah, right yeah. right in the middle of Golden Gate Park. Uh, it, it's a lovely little spot where you can paddle boat. Um, But this story takes place in the Victorian era before the 1906 earthquake, when a woman is living with her infant child in San Francisco. And one day she wants to go out on a walk. So she puts the baby in a pram and takes a walk around Stowe Lake. As she's walking around Stow Lake, she sees a friend and they get to catching up and talking for a while. Eventually, they sit down on a bench and she becomes so engrossed in this conversation that she kind of doesn't pay attention to her baby in the pram for a period of time. When she turns back towards the baby carriage, it is gone. It has disappeared. And the woman is immediately distraught. So she, you know, starts screaming, where's my baby? Where's my baby? And ends up running into the lake presuming that her baby had rolled into the lake and she is never seen again
2: i mean just playing on every parent's worst nightmare you know <laughs> <Can> <laughs> I you when i had little babies you would just like yes yeah, something going wrong and then you'd be disappeared you know sometimes i'd have to like check in the back seat when i put him in the car seat. you know <sighs> every parent's worst nightmare so she's never seen or heard from again Except in sort of spectral form, though.
1: Right. right? She's never seen in the flesh again, we should say. Uh, Because since this story, um, there have been numerous sightings spanning many decades of uh, a woman who has long hair, white robes, and is glowing, who is oftentimes seen around Stowe Lake. And if she does interact with a person who sees her, she's often saying something like, where's my baby? Have you seen my baby? She is you know, kind of stalking around this lake, searching still continuously for her child.
2: I mean, I feel like it has a little bit of like La Llorona vibes or yeah. like there, there are these different stories about like, you know, uh, unfinished business of a woman or a mother around a lake for some reason. Yeah, And I, I find Carly, do you find this one particularly creepy or or No.
3: I do. I I think that this is something that a lot of people locally feel like they've heard of. And the fact that it's right in the center of San Francisco is just so compelling. And you're completely right that the the myth, the legend of the wailing woman around water. I mean, Bay Curious actually did an episode um, from Sebastian Minio Bocelli about La Llorona and the the cultural hold it still has and really interrogated why um, this figure just persists down the centuries, down the decades through cultures. Um, And yeah, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty
1: universal. And it's very compelling.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I think that also gets to, you know, to an interesting thing about a lot of these stories are also told as cautionary tales. Mm -hmm. You know, in so many cultures, scary stories are used to teach each other, to teach children lessons. Uh, And perhaps there's, you know, a lesson in all of these stories that we're meant to take.
2: Let's um, bring in a caller, Martha, in uh, Menlo Park. Martha, welcome to the show.
5: Oh, Thank you. I really enjoyed hearing the Winchester House story because uh, we visited there about 10 or 15 years ago from Menlo Park. It's not a bad drive to get there. <laughs> and I have a question for your, yeah. uh, your two experts there. Um, your description was great, but the part that got me 10 or 15 years ago, this was a long time ago, were the little teeny tiny steps she had built here and there, instead of a regular step. It was easier for her arthritis, is what is what the docent told us, and now that I'm to the age of arthritis, I appreciate little tiny steps, but the carpentry work. <laughs> they they said that just the racket, the sounds, the neighbors, you know, constantly tearing down and building up, which of course is going on all around everywhere, tear down the little house, build a mansion. but. But she was just, you know, all these steps required so much carpentry work, (laughs) little teeny tiny
2: steps. Martha, thank you so much for that. Right. I mean, I think. You know, the, the real fear that many people have is, um, you know, that the, their body falls apart on them in, in one way or another. And that is actually like seeing those little tiny steps now that I know that that does embody like a real fear for me, like that, you know, it just gets harder to move through the world.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think my personal like interest in, in ghost stories definitely stems from just kind of a fear but also interest and curiosity around death, and wondering like you know what's it gonna feel like, what's it gonna be like, what happens to consciousness when it you know changes form, if it changes form. Yeah,
2: yeah. Let's um, tell another story from the current uh, book curious series on on Baker's. This one um, is centered in Hayward.
1: Yeah. So this came from producer Pauline Bariloni, Um, And she found that there is this centuries-old legend that takes place in Hayward. And it it happened long before it was even called Hayward, because the story has been told for at least 150 years, maybe longer. And there are lots of versions of the story, I will say, before I get into the story. And I will be telling one version of the story. So please don't call and tell me you've heard a different version, because yes, we know there are many versions. Um, but here's how the tale goes. It starts in Mazatlan, Mexico, with a young man. Named Juan. And Juan was born an illegitimate son and doesn't know his father. So at the time, you know, that means he's kind of got low social standing in the community. He falls in love with a young Spanish woman named Isabel, who is a member of a very wealthy family. Now, Isabel's father does not approve of this relationship because of Juan's social standing. And in fact, he actually promises Isabel's hand in marriage to another man, another wealthy Spaniard. But Juan and Isabel are in love. And like young lovebirds do, they decide to take things into their own hands. And one night, they sneak into the stables after dark and take two of the fastest horses from the family stables and ride away, presumably in elopement. Now, the next morning, her father realizes what has happened. And he is furious. He gathers up a gang of men, and they ride on horseback, taking after the couple a chase ensues all the way up the West Coast, hundreds of miles until one day, Juan and Isabel's horses give out in what is modern day Hayward. And they become stranded on this shrubby hillside that has one lone oak tree on it, which is kind of a landmark for the region, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen these hillsides all around California. Yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Like a monster, you know, ancient oak tree. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. Um, so th- this tree really stands out on the landscape. Um And at this point, the father and his horse-riding henchmen do catch up with the couple, finally, after hundreds and hundreds of miles of tailing them. And I want to read a quote from an 1874 newspaper telling of the story for what happens next. The father of the girl gazed upon his child and, drawing his knife, sprang to her side and buried it in her heart. She fell and died without a word of outcry, her blood staining his hands. Ugh. I know, I know. And next, the Spanish man who had been promised Isabel's hand in marriage stabs and kills Juan, her lover. Juan and Isabel are then buried under that lone tree in Hayward. And in time, the city of Hayward and the Lone Tree Cemetery, which still stands there today, kind of bloom around them. And so that's kind of, you know, how this legend has has continued to be told over the years. Oh
2: my God, it's kind of a nasty patriarchal honor killing made yeah. into like civic uh, legend. I are there are, are there is it like supposed to be haunted or is it just more like this is just like a, a this le, uh, more, more of a legend than a ghost story.
1: This is more of a legend than a ghost story. Um, if you visit the Lone tree Cemetery today you'll find the story on a plaque and it's uh, I'm told a story that uh, kids in Hayward will oftentimes learn when they are um, uh, going through school. Um, one and- thing that
2: did blow my mind is the tree is still there.
1: Oh yeah it's' right? the I mean, just- still there and it's it's a gorgeous tree the way the sun kind of filters through it is gorgeous. We spoke to Caroline Sandoval of the Hayward Historical Society and you know she circled back to this idea I was talking about earlier about how these stories, Really give us a collective history, um, you know. Especially again in a place like Hayward, where it is super diverse. You have people who have come from all different places, and it kind of roots us to the land with this with this legend. Yeah,
2: let's um bring in a caller. Let's bring in uh, Gary in Union City. Welcome, Gary.
6: Yeah. Hey, Alexis. Thank you for taking my call. So I wanted to um, call in with a uh, Bay Area legend, um, kind of in the in the realm of haunted. Ghost stories. There's, um, you know, people often hear the story of the vanishing hitchhiker, Ooh. and there is one that there's one that's quite legendary here in um, in the Bay Area. So on Highway 84, in between the unincorporated town of Sonol, mm-hmm. driving through what's known as driving through the uh, drainage of the Alameda Creek into uh, Union City and Fremont, there's a story that's been told around here for decades, if not close to one hundred up. Uh, 100 years about the White Witch of Niles. And so the the most widely accepted story and the story that I grew up with that I first heard probably 40 years ago was that at the advent of motorized cars, a bride on her wedding day was in a carriage. The horses were spooked by a backfiring automobile. She died. And now every year... Um, around the time of her wedding, she stands on the side of the road in what is now Highway 84, waiting for a uh, passersby to pick her up.
3: Ooh. Wow. And, uh, that, I got chills.
6: <laughs> so, so, so that story is very much local legend and local lore, and it's loosely tied into, with a shout-out to what a lot of uh, Bay Area locals, especially those of us who grew up in the Union City, Fremont, Hayward area, we called the Secret Sidewalk. So going through Highway 84, Niles Canyon, along the drainage of the Alameda yeah. Creek is a um, gravity gravity-fed water aqueduct. This thing's it's quite old. It's uh, the remnants of, of um, I, I, w- I want to say it's close to 100 years old, if not older. An old gravity-fed aqueduct that would um, belong to the San Francisco Water District because wow. SF takes water from right. you know of. of great volume of water from a number of places but this place is also legendary because it's spooky there's no lights out there yeah yeah no it's i know exactly where you're talking
2: about gary i mean i know exactly what you're talking about and i mean the way i know about this like niles to sonal road is also like charlie chaplin filmed a piece of the tramp there so on the happier side of it gary thank you so much that was a perfect example of the kind of thing that we're talking about don't you think olivia the great story gary thank you
1: yeah i love that story
2: you know, I do want to know, and and Carly or or Olivia, who maybe Olivia, we can start here. I mean, it does seem like often it is the women who are haunting these places. Like, oh, it's, yeah. you know, like you know, the groom could have died in that story, and there'd be like a creepy groom haunting the the you know Highway eighty four. You know, do you what do you think that is?
1: I mean, I would actually love to invite Carly in on this because yeah. I know she has some some smart things to say. But I think really it boils down to. um again circling back to we tend to make legends about things that we don't understand and women have perhaps not been as well understood in you know throughout history everywhere out in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> as as we ought to be carly Do you want to add to that?
3: I would 100% agree with that. I would say there's a great Atlas Obscura um, article out there right now about gendering in horror and this exact question that Alexis poses, why are so many ghosts women? And they talk a lot, I believe, about um, women uh, being in and out of the domestic sphere and how women exiting the domestic sphere has historically been a case for a lot of anxiety uh, from patriarchy. And so I thought that was a really fascinating way uh, to explain that. And then you also kind of overlay it with this idea of location, which, you know, as the Boo Curious series has been coming out all month, I've been thinking so much about why we get so obsessed. I say we, I should say I, why <laughs> I get so obsessed with the idea that if I go to this place, maybe I will encounter something um, otherworldly that frankly, I'm desperate to, you know, I want that encounter that I can like breathlessly relate to my friends about, it finally happened. I think I finally saw a ghost. Um, and the idea that you just have have to kind of wait around in life waiting for the ghosts to find you it's kind of frustrating but (laughs) if you have a map of spooky places you can go there with your your kind of your heart and your mind open and maybe just maybe something will cross the threshold and you have that experience I do think that kind of interactivity and that that lure of if I go there something might happen to me I might be the main character for once in my own ghost story
1: it's pretty fun
2: I love the idea that it's basically a numbers game (laughs) so you just we don't know but the numbers it. are, but
1: just hang out at creepy places all the time. I mean, that's how we went to the Winchester Mystery House. We were really hoping to have a brush with something, yeah, yeah, that's true. And actually, my favorite part of this,
3: uh, is that obviously we had our recording equipment, so we had our headphones and our, our tape uh, recording equipment for the podcast, me and Olivia. And I could see there was a public tour going on, and people kept glancing over at us. And I thought, oh, that's weird, you know, they must just wonder what we're doing. And then I realized, oh, they think we're ghost hunters, they think you're paranormal they-
2: investigators, <laughs> uh-huh. that's right. <laughs>
3: And I wasn't mad about it. I'll tell
2: you that. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other stories that people have, have probably heard through time is about the great movement of people out of San Francisco to Colma, the cemetery movement. I want to, um, because it's almost like the, the setup for a, another set of ghost stories. So let's hear a little bit. This is from Bay, uh, Bay Curious episode on the moving of the cemeteries out of San Francisco as San Francisco's population grew rapidly, there were new demands on the land. People were building homes on all sides of the cemeteries. Streetcars had to navigate around these islands of the dead to bring living residents to work and back. All that's to say, the cemeteries were becoming prime real estate.
0: People in San Francisco looking for homes, looking for business places, said this land is too valuable for the dead. And there was a growing crescendo to evict the bodies
2: in the 1880s newspapers ran headlines like cemeteries must go cemeteries bar to progress bodies exposed cemeteries grim hoodlumism rampant there were also weird concerns about living next to dead folks some thought that if they inhaled the winds that blew over crowded cemeteries they could contract malignant throat illnesses <coughs> in 1901 san francisco banned all new burials within city limits. I when I hear that, I think like evict the bodies. That's the line that really stuck with me. It's like in San Francisco even the dead get evicted, right? And I it does really get I think at another reason why some of these stores, particularly the ones in a location kind of remain because you do lose the city that once existed. It does. In, in, a, in an urban area, the people and places you love will get paved over. Their new buildings will go up. Things will get bulldozed. But what can remain are the stories that are kind of attached to that location.
1: Yeah. Although sometimes some things remain that you think are gone, like in the case of these cemeteries in San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, as we said in that story, you know, a measure was passed to, you know, basically ban any new burials in San Francisco. They actually... Uh, as the cemeteries moved out, they had to exhume and move over 130,000 bodies um, that were moved down to Colma, which was established as a necropolis. So a city basically built for the sole purpose of of burying our dead. Um, But as you can imagine, record keeping in this era was not top-notch. And so not all the bodies were found. They didn't know where all of them were. So, you know, starting as early as the 1950s, when we have been doing, you know, uh, new construction projects where these old cemeteries were on the University of San Francisco, out near the Legion of Honor, there's a couple spots. They have found, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of remains. Um, that One that was quite startling was when they were doing some seismic retrofitting on the Legion of Honor, they found 750 bodies so you know uh the city does change but some some things (laughs) Things are are remain regrettably still around
2: wow we're talking about a new bay curious series called boo curious this month and it's about the eeriest spots in the bay area we're joined by olivia allen price host of bay curious author of the bay curious book and carly Severn, senior editor of audience news and in this case a bay curious reporter we'll get more of your calls and comments and tell you a few more eerie stories after the break i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrick. We're talking about the eerie locations in the Bay Area, joined by the stars of the Boo Curious series, a part of Bay Curious, an amazing KQED podcast. We've got the host Olivia Allen Price and uh, Carly Severn, who reported in this series. Um, I want to share a, a spooky story with you that uh, we have here from a listener. Apparently, there is a ghost at Moss Beach Distillery. The distillery has a page on their website explaining the history of the ghost, the blue lady. Some 72 years ago, there was a young woman, always dressed in blue, who met and fell in love with a man. She made many trips to a restaurant to meet with her lover. One day she was killed while walking along the coastside near the restaurant. It is here at the distillery you will find her searching for her lover, writes the Moss Beach Distillery. Um, Carla, I wanted to come to you on this one. Because I feel like one thing that you noted in your Winchester uh, House story was how it actually becomes kind of a sales tactic to have a ghost. Like if you if you have a good enough ghost, it becomes a reason for people to come visit. 100%
3: 100% and the thing is I can't hate on it especially in the month of Halloween it's really hard to go to these places that you've heard you know quote unquote has a ghost and and be mad about it and you know the ghostly aspect of the Winchester Mystery House obviously is very much played up but that stemmed I think pretty much from Sarah Winchester's lifetime this idea that she was trying to contact the spirits of the people who had left her in her life those waves of loss that she experienced and this idea that she was holding seances in her house um, and the thing is There's little bits of truth in there, as with everything. So spiritualism at that time was really huge, especially in the South Bay, um, amongst that kind of rarefied Mm -hmm. social set. But it was this really—you did it as part of a group, basically. It was a social enterprise, and Sarah Winchester was famously averse to even having just visitors in her house. So it is kind of unlikely— Although apparently not contractors. (laughs) Apparently not. And so— (laughs) The idea of these ghosts just roaming the hallways, it is a big part of the selling point for the Winchester Mystery House. I mean, Olivia and I saw it up close with our own eyes. People were there on those tours to hopefully experience exactly that. You know, and talking to our tour guide, she was like, yeah, we all have our story about, you know, we've seen a shadowy figure or we've seen a ghost dog or something. And when you're in that moment in those, you know, dark corridors or the basement or whatever, it's really hard to, to keep your skeptical hat on.
2: Yeah. Um, another listener writes in to confirm this story. Um, well, not confirm, but to also tell the story of the, the hitchhiker. Listener writes in Fremont, a teen couple driving home from a prom through Niles Canyon stopped to pick up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker. Is a woman dressed in a torn and worn prom dress clearly someone you'd pick up? i have just noting. Yeah. If I saw someone in a torn and worn prom dress on a creepy canyon. I'd be like, Yeah, sure. Why, Why not? I got need some a ride. Place. Yeah, I got some time. I'm stepping uh, on the gas. <laughs> she gets in the back seat and does not say a word when they drive out of the canyon into Niles. They turn around and the girl is no longer in the back seat. Ooh. I also love that it's just the infinite variation, right? Because we heard, you know, the story we heard earlier from Union City was like a little bit different from that one, and they can just the constant permutations oh, yeah. of of these things. It's
1: like that game telephone you might play sleepovers <laughs> growing up, you know. Exactly.
2: Um, let's uh, let's bring in a call. Let's bring in uh, Natalie in Marin. Welcome, Natalie.
7: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show, and so I'm really honored to be on as a caller. Um, I also really love this topic because I love ghosts. But I would love to ask about the flood mansion. I'm a Bay Area native. My older sister went to Convent in the Sacred Heart. And when she was at school there, she used to tell me these ghost stories about the flood mansion. And now as an adult, I don't know if she actually was telling real ghost stories or whether she was just trying to scare me. And the one in particular that I remember her telling me is that prior to an earthquake, and I'll be honest, I don't know if it was the Loma Prieta or the 1906, but given the history of the flood mansion, it could have been... could have been either. Uh, yeah. It could have been either. But uh, actually, I think it had to be the Loma Prieta because essentially what happened is there was a telephone call. And a person at the school went to go pick up the telephone. And when she picked up the telephone, she realized that the line was dead. It wasn't even connected. And so they think that that was one of the floods, whether it was Mr. or Mrs. I don't know, but essentially alerting people to the fact that the earthquake was about to happen. And sure enough, it happened, you know, shortly after that telephone call.
2: Oh, man, I am connecting the ghost story into the very geology of uh of the city i love that one natalie and marin thank you so much uh thanks for listening to the show and also um thanks for calling that's a good one have you heard
1: yeah I, you know i haven't heard that story but um maybe if we bring back boo curious next october we'll have to yes
2: the flood i know gathering some ideas here yeah. we're gonna go uh, drive, drive niles canyon <laughs> and uh go to the flood mansion and and hopefully not have an earthquake story happen um let's uh we have another uh this is another fun call uh, brandy in san francisco welcome
7: Hi. So I'm just going to turn my radio down. Uh, so my mom and sister were in town from Seattle visiting us, and we decided to have a tour in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? Yes.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> <we're listening. laughs>
7: Thanks. And so we're having the walking tour, and it's fantastic. And we come around the corner, and the group starts to kind of slow down and stop at a spot. But before we stopped, my sister said, Did you smell that? And I said, No. And she said, I said, What is it? And she said, I don't know, it smells like women's fragrance, like a perfume. And I said, no, I don't smell that. And sure enough, the group stops. We gather around the leader or the tour guide starts to speak, and the story is, I don't remember the details, but something about this area was known for prostitution, and there was a prostitute prostitute who was murdered, and she was famous and well-known for her scent, her fragrance.
2: Oh man, <laughs> you Carly must be so jealous. Carly has been trying to get have that spe- that smell for her entire life. <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm really preoccupied by this idea of, of smell hauntings as well and I don't I this is just making me think so much about history and mm-hmm. you know when uh, Natalie called in about the flood mansion I just I brought it up on my computer and I was looking at it's this big ornate building and you see that or you see like an alleyway somewhere and you're like yes this is exactly the type of old place that should be haunted but it's so funny that we think it's it's always old places when we're you know there's this you know online gag about ghosts in 50 years time are going to be doing TikTok dancers, because that will be old (laughs) to to those people in 50 years' time. But it is something to grapple with about why we think old automatically equals spooky.
2: Right. That is a really good question. Um, Brandy, thank you. uh, Thank you so much for that one. Um, You know, here's one. uh, We're going to skip ahead in time a little bit. um, And we're going to skip ahead in time to a San Francisco kind of weird 70s institution. Do you want to talk a little bit, Olivia, about The Church of Satan, because, well, I I always thought this thing was a joke, but it was like a real thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, this story came from Bay Curious producer Amanda Font, who um, I I should say, I I encourage people who are interested to listen to the story. It's it's a really fascinating listen. Um, But her story was about the Church of Satan, which I hadn't really thought of as a countercultural movement of kind of the 60s and 70s, but really it was, you know, just like the beat poets or the hippies or the summer of love. um, the, The Church of Satan was founded by a man named Anton LaVey, who I'm sure some listeners might be familiar with. He was a bit of a celebrity for a time and he was an artist and musician and always had this sort of strong interest in the supernatural and the occult. And he had some friends who had similar interests and they would just started doing rituals just to see if anything would happen. And eventually kind of this group of friends doing these rituals kind of grew and grew until eventually in 1966, it grew into America's first satanic church. Oh, my gosh. Do we
2: hear his voice? He's yeah. Kind of crazy. OK, oh, yeah. let's hear. Um, this should be uh, cut six uh, or an interview
5: with him. Who ordained you a satanic priest? I would say probably
6: I received the call just as any fundamentalist do, but we fight it. Why fight it? This is, of course, the whole principle of my religion. All of the. You mean
5: you received the call? You mean one day the devil said, "Go out, Anton Zandor LeVay and give people hell." (laughs) That's about it. That's about it. Because people like to have a hell of a time, don't they?
2: (laughs) I mean, that's where you get some of the like countercultural. I mean, he's. It's like a. It's a shtick, but it's also not a
1: shtick. Yeah. I mean, what what was really interesting and, and a learning uh, for me about, you know, in this story was, you know, the Church of Satan and, you know, Satanism in general is really a philosophy um, that I think actually most people wouldn't find too objectionable. It's all about kind of leaning in and indulging one's desires, but not ones that would really harm people, just kind of following sort of what your body is maybe telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of counter. To what you know, Anton Lavey was seeing in other religions, which were very much about um, you know being restrained. He thought they were all based on fear because people were having to deny their human nature to Mm. be a part of those religions.
2: Let's let's hear a little bit uh, another. This is another cut from the Boo Curious episode about this, just about like kind of what the scene was there at the house.
4: With his shiny, polished bald head, black goatee, and intense eyes, he wore all black a long cloak, large rings, a pentagram medallion, and would make appearances wearing a hooded devil costume with little horns. He had a 500-pound pet lion named Togar, who he'd raised from a cub that slept in his bedroom at night. He invited reporters and the public inside the black house to attend satanic mass.
6: In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king of the-
4: where he'd invoke the devil while wielding a large sword, or sometimes a boa constrictor, while a nude woman was draped across the altar in the ritual chamber.
2: I think um, what we can say about that is um, it was kind of a sex thing, right there. At least, at least an element of that in in this.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, nude women uh, involved at the time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, there was a lot of theatrics yes. kind of layered on top of what I think was ultimately like uh, just a philosophy. And those theatrics are really what caught people's attention and kind of helped to spark the satanic panic that we saw then in the 80s and 90s, where people who were involved with this or other similar movements were accused of a lot of things that ultimately ended up not being remotely true.
2: So let's talk about the location itself in San Francisco. Like, where, where was this house? And was it actually, it was really and truly just, like, painted black?
1: Yeah, so uh, the Church of Satan's headquarters was in what's called the Black House. It was out in the Richmond District, and it was just an all-black Victorian. Anton LaVey had it painted all black. Um, it was torn down in 2001, so there's nothing you can see there today. I think it's just an apartment building now. Except the ghost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the ghost of Togar, the, the lion, yeah.
2: Um. Did that location? I, I mean, do people go visit it? Do you know? Like, is it like a, a a pilgrimage spot for people who've kind of kept up with that?
1: I didn't get the sense that people are really going there anymore. Again, because there's really nothing to see. Um, but when I when we released that story last week, we heard from a lot of folks who would go when the house was still standing, um, out of curiosity to take pictures in front of it. So I think it definitely was sort of a site that had a lot of public interest when it when it was standing.
2: Mm. Um, here is an interesting question for you all. Uh, Nair writes in to say, when I was a kid 60 years ago, we would visit the Rosicrucian Society Museum in San Jose. We marveled at a mummified uh, hand with a bale in it, and every element and exhibit of ancient Egyptian esoterica excited us kids with a sense of wonder and mystery. This is an example of a specifically constructed, quote, spooky place designed to inspire a sense of awe. Are there any stories about apparitions or epiphanies in such local sacred sites like what's the legacy of secret societies like the the masons in the haunted bay
1: oh interesting we we did do a story actually about the rosicrucian museum in san jose uh, what, right? what is that
2: I, I i don't know
1: um let's you're uh. tapping my memory which is now a couple <laughs> years old um i
3: believe it's a lot of ancient egyptian artifacts that's that's yeah, my recollection it. of yeah, that yeah
2: yeah Interesting. Oh, man. And in this case, what about like that broader question, like people who try to try to create a place to invite in, you know, uh, the supernatural or paranormal?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I am the daughter of two uh, Episcopal priests, so I am well familiar with the idea of creating a space where you are trying to kind of invoke something Holy, if you will, something from the from the other side. I think it's something that we do in countless ways, um, as as humans, in all sorts of religions, and also in other spiritual forms that are not religious. Yeah. maybe yeah. through ghost stories, or yeah, the Rosicrucian Museum, or or other spaces yeah. like that.
2: You know, Carly, I wanted to ask you about. Um, there's that. It's, it's really fascinating. You encountered uh, a few years ago the story of Mary Ellen Pleasant, who we we've talked about on the show before. Uh, A proto-civil rights uh, character, she was a black woman who made her own money, came to San Francisco, and kind of became a member of society. But at the same time, she began to be painted in the press as someone who was like a voodoo priestess who was controlling the white people of San Francisco with like magic, right? And you have a line in that story which really stuck with me, which is like, it says a lot. Who gets a legend? And who gets a ghost story?
3: Exactly. And I'm so glad we're talking about Mary Ellen Pleasant because I ask around and I just think so many people locally have never heard of her. And that's no slam on on the people who haven't heard of her. But this woman should be an absolute local icon. She should be, you know, the name on everyone's lips. But she is not. And I do think that's a lot to do with what was done to her in terms of literal demonization during her lifetime where... Her power and her reputation uh, as the civil rights pioneer, her work to bring the Underground Railroad out West, it made uh, white society so uncomfortable that the way they could think of to take her down was by you know, giving her names like, quote-unquote, Queen of the Voodoos and you know, mm. Demon and saying, you know, someone's one of her business partners has died in mysterious circumstances. Could it be murder? And so this was all, all done in her lifetime. And so there is Mary Ellen Pleasant Park in San Francisco. Francisco. It's I believe it's San Francisco's smallest public park. It's literally a, a strip of the street at Octavia and Bush with some eucalyptus trees. And this is the spot that, that Mary Ellen Pleasant is rumored to, you know, quote unquote, haunt by throwing acorns at people or summoning chills. Mm. Um, and honestly, people going there and learning uh, about her, it is one way of kind of inviting her back into the conversation because there's so much we don't know about her. And that was deliberate. She wrote three autobiographies and they all contradict each other, like mm. on the basic facts, like the year of her birth. And she played with with doubling and concealment and mystery as part of her power. She knew the power of that and she weaponized it. So... That's a lot of where these misconceptions come from, because the basic facts of her life are so confusing and confounding, often by design. But I would really recommend that that folks look her up and, and find out about everything she did. Yeah. and um, Yeah, just a completely, completely fascinating woman. She was known as the Black City Hall during that time because of what she did in the community. She was the place that you went to to get what you needed.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Olivia, um, you've got a bunch more stories about this. Do you want to just like name check a few for people they could check out on, uh, on Bay Curious of, uh, around Boo Curious and other sort of spooky things?
1: Yeah. So if you head to the Bay Curious podcast feed, you'll find four weeks of episodes. Uh, one we didn't get to talk about today was the Dunsmuir House over in Oakland, which is the site of um, where a number of horror films, including Phantasm and Burnt Offerings, has been filmed. Um, that's a wonderful Rachel Myro piece. And then, yeah, digging down into our archives, there's some spooky stories, too. One that Carly did that, um, you know, it's not really uh, Halloween spooky, but is a, a two part series about the, the Donner Park party um which you know kind of gets at another legend uh, if you will piece of history that sort of has a, a an interesting impact on today
2: the Donner party absolutely terrifies me that was one of the scariest things i ever <laughs> learned about in school cuz they're too real at some level um Thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking about the Bay Curious series, Boo Curious. There's also a book, of course, of Bay Curious called uh, Bay Curious, Exploring the Hidden True Stories of the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank you so much, Olivia Allen Price, host of KQED's Bay Curious.
1: Thank you. It's always fun to be here.
2: So fun. And Carly Severn, senior editor of Audience News and Bay Curious Reporter, thank you so much.
1: Thank
3: you. This has been so fun.
2: The 9 O'Clock Hour Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, and Dan Zoll. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amico Oda. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer, our engineers, are Danny Bringer and Brian Douglas. Our vice president of news is Ethan toven lindsay And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Thank you so much to everyone who called in and commented. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Leslie McClurg.
0: No Too much
2: fighting
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.